So, Will. Yes? The lead character of our movie this week, immediately after leaving jail after 28 days, meets up with her friend to get a donut to celebrate. So I was wondering, imagine you've been in jail, let's say a short amount of time, like 28 days, where, you know, technology hasn't changed, the world is pretty much the same. So I, like, something happened, and now we're looking at what my life is like 28 days later. Sure, Will. It's fight zombies. That's what I was leading you towards. (laughs) So what would your first celebration be? I mean, I feel like the answer to this question is obvious. Yeah, just give your obvious answer, but then try and think of something more fun. I would clearly go to the movies. Like, that is what I would do. Yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home comes out in about a month, so. So you're saying I could get arrested now and get out in time to see Spider-Man. Exactly. And that's make the experience timing. even sweeter. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, like, that's just the answer, right? Like, that is the thing yeah. I would do. Like, maybe I would ride a train to the movie theater, and it'd be like a twofer. Uh, do you have what would your backup be? Say every movie theater is closed and everything uh, so, is released so this on is HBO. A Twenty-eight days later situation. Yes, so except everything is just released on HBO Max instead of in theaters. Then I go home and I fire up HBO Max. That's what I do, and maybe I like order a pizza. Oh well, Josh, do you have a more interesting answer? No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing Josh just wrote down Spider-Man as his answer for a month after he got out. I'm really looking forward to the Spider-Man movie. Or like a milkshake. Like something sweet. Like it's a month. Okay, I can go without something for 28 days. Yeah, I mean, twenty. I feel like 28 days might be a bit short because you don't miss much after that long. But I was trying to avoid the situation of, like, you're in jail for 50 years, and then you get out, and you don't know what a cell phone is. Which is very sad. Abolish prisons. What? I know what movie theaters are. (laughs) And I know movie theaters lasted for a long time, because I'm told every time I go to the movies, we're celebrating 100 years of the movies at AMC. Magic happens here. No, we make movies better. That's Nicole Kidman's slogan (laughs) at the end of that video that I have seen many times. I mean, imagine in 50 years when every movie theater is underwater. Like in a, like in a reminiscence way. In a climate change way. Yeah, I'm talking about Reminiscence, the movie that we all saw that came out this summer. Did that come Hugh out? Where Jackman has to find out what happened. You know, nothing is more addictive than the past. This movie was a hit. We all saw it, right? Did that come out already? Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure? It was an sir? enormous flop. I kind of dug it. It wasn't a great movie, but it was my speed. I thought that was like a Christmas release or something. I was wondering why I hadn't seen a trailer for it in a while. (laughs) It came out out in August. Warner Brothers Christmas release is The Matrix. I mean, it's a good Christmas release. Yeah. Yikes. (laughs) 15.5 million box office. Look, Reminiscence was not a hit. I think you could go so far as to say it was a flop. Yes. But good for Rebecca Ferguson because she has something else going on at the moment. Look, I'm always happy for Rebecca Ferguson. She's great. I was listening to her do an interview about Mission Impossible movies the other day, and she's like, it's great filming them. It's an act of trust. You have no idea what's going on. They shoot every scene five (laughs) different ways. She's like, I'm running. I don't know if I'm running to something, if I'm running away from something. I ask Tom and Chris, and they say, we'll shoot it both ways and decide how to use the shot. Oh, my God. And the thing is, then, the movies are good. I'm just saying, I love her in The Greatest Showman, where she plays not the opera singer. She does play the opera singer. But she does not sing opera. No, but she trained. She can do it. They decided to dub her, like, at the last minute. That is a bad decision. On their part. Well, I mean, it's the greatest showman. Like, it's already playing from negative points. (laughs) It is a great movie because it has Zendaya and Zac Efron and end of You can see them both in better movies. But together? Gotcha there. Mark, what would you do if you got out of prison after 28 days? I do think an extravagant meal would probably be my first stop. What sort of meal? Um, something that costs more money than it should. Like Shake Shack Burger. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a very big difference between something that costs more money than it should and something that costs more money than it should. Shake Shack Burger is too expensive. A fancy, like, tasting menu at Sushi Taro where the chef walks you through a journey of sushi. 
You want one of those like plunder meals where it's like flaked in gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that doesn't appeal to me, but like extremely expensive sushi does. You want to like eat the GDP of a small country. Or on the other hand, I would love to go to an amusement park, but also that's just because I've been thinking about the fact that I didn't go all summer and I kind of missed the season. So maybe go to Six Flags. And this was not a clumsy segue to talk about something I just wanted to talk about. I was going to say, because you could go to Six Flags and get food that is more expensive than it's worth. Uh, That is also extremely true. Unless you buy an unlimited season pass. This is an amazing story. I have not been captivated by a story like this since the Ibis. The what? The Ibis. The woman in Taiwan who had bees living inside her eye ducts. Oh, God. Oh, my I-bees. I thought you said IVs, and I was like, who was at the hospital? IBs. No, I'm talking about the woman who had bees living in her tear ducts. Yep, I do remember that story, and it was as horrifying as I am horrified now. Huh. Anyway, this would have been a few weeks ago at the time of release. I saw it today. A man who lives and works five minutes away from a Six Flags in California has, over the last seven years, saved money enough to pay off his student loans by getting an unlimited pass to Six Flags and eating at least two meals a day there, every day. That's too many meals. That's horrifying. (laughs) Because, like, at best, the vegetables you're getting are, like, a theme park salad, which is not impressive. Well, now he has a wife, so he's down to only two or three meals there a week. I mean, women. that's $150 for, like, eight months of eating. No, it's a very good deal. It's a great deal. I know. This this sounds like one of those, hey, kids, you're looking to save money? Stop eating. Well, no, it (laughs) sounds like like a George Costanza (laughs) plotline. It really does. I just can't believe how long it went on, and he never got caught, but now Six Flags is probably going to change the policy. I mean... True, but, like, he didn't do anything against the policy. <laughs> right. They're just mad that he knew how to use their system. It was a not exactly a place people go to eat. Like, I never see people eating Six Flags food as much as I do at other places. Because it, it's bad. <laughs> yes. Just get the funnel cake and nothing else. And even then, kill for a funnel cake right now. I don't know. Back before, you know, mass shootings where they check everyone's bags, we had a backpack cooler that looked like a normal backpack, and they wouldn't check, so we just snuck pub subs into Six Flags a lot as our lunch. That was ideal. Now, that would not fly. (laughs) What's in the bag? I swear, just subs. Trust me on this. Don't check. Uh, we also would sometimes just leave lunch in the car, leave the park and get the stamp, go sit in the car to eat our lunch, and then go back in. Oh, we've all done that. And that's called saving money to pay off your student loans. (laughs) Look, uh, sometimes you're just in a place where the mealtimes line up, so you just gotta bring your food. Like how I ate a sandwich during In the Heights in the movie theater. (laughs) It was a 5.30 showing of like a two and a half hour movie. When am I supposed to eat dinner? Like that time we saw Roma and I brought a full burrito. Yeah. (laughs) When I first moved to Singapore, the movie theater close to us had a full-on food court instead of a concession stand. Didn't you tell me there was a Subway inside the movie theater? Yeah, I would just get a Subway sandwich and a Subway cookie and my bubble tea and go sit in the movie theater and watch it. And then they decided to make it nice and I was extremely angry. It is funny because my mom's movie theater is one of those amcs where they deliver food to your seat and so she's trying to figure out how to use her rewards and i'm going on about like okay you pull up your thing and you scan it at concessions and she's like well what if i want them to deliver it to my seat and i'm like well i live in the city where we don't have those fancy (laughs) delivery movie theaters those are kind of fun oh they are yeah i feel like the closest one is in there's one of the well there's yeah there's the uh the ipic and bethesda there's the Rio in Gaithersburg. There's an Alamo Draft House not too far out yep. in Virginia. This has been your update on the theaters of the DC area. <laughs> um, the Uptown is going to come back. Landmark made a deal. Oh, it is? Yeah. Is it going to come back to show like new releases or is it going to be more of a... It's going to come back as a Landmark theater. Oh, okay. Because it's only one screen though, right? Or is it two? One or two, yeah. I was wondering if they would Landmark would turn it into like an event place where they do old movies 
All I can say is it'll be better than the landmark West End. <laughs> Where we once were shown a DVD. <laughs> that was, I think about that all the time. Sitting down in that chair in a movie theater with like six lazy boy recliners. <laughs> and they start up the projector and it is a Sony DVD player screen. Bright blue, old school font, everything you could want. In defense of the Landmark West End, which is a terrible theater, (laughs) they did not put on that screening. They were just a venue for a different group that was doing it. Yeah, I think it was like the German Heritage Group or whatever. Yeah. And number two, still not the worst theater in the D.C. area (laughs) because the AMC Wheaton remains open. (laughs) That movie theater is hell. It's hilarious because that theater managed to do like the full AMC update to like the recliners and like they have MacGuffin's bar and it is still the worst theater in the area. I do have a personal grudge against the AMC Hoffman in Alexandria. That's a pretty good theater. One time I went, the escalator was broken. So I had to walk up the like (laughs) three flights of stairs and then it wasn't air conditioned enough. So I was just sweating through all of Zola. I was going to (laughs) say, when the escalators are working, that's a pretty good theater. They have like 24 screens. Yeah, it's huge. But, Also, they have one escalator that goes up, like, three floors, and when it's broken, you're kind of screwed. I do love how your personal grudge is based upon a first-world problem. I have to use an escalator as stairs? Yeah, but the problem with, I will say, one thing with escalators as stairs is the steps are bigger because they're designed to move. So there's just, like, a slight, slightly more difficult climbing escalators, and then when you're going up that high... It really starts to compound. If you've never walked the DuPont escalator... uh, Oh, I do every time. I just hate myself as I do it. Uh, This has been our update on the theaters of the D.C. area. Uh, Please tell us about your favorite and least favorite theaters uh, on Twitter with the hashtag uh, BackToGood with two with a two to signify that we're back to the good times at the theaters. (laughs) If there's one thing Metro is not, it is back to good. <laughs> they have, since like the period of the fires, you know, your and the crashes 10 years ago, they have built it back better. Yeah. Relatively. I mean, three is a bigger number than two. Yes. So it is relatively better. Ugh. Anyway, DC Metro sucks. I hate it. It's right now. so good when the trains stay on the tracks. <laughs> it Which is, is rarer great than you'd expect when the trains stay on the tracks anyway welcome to we love the love hollywood romance podcast i'm mark and i'm gay and i'm will and i'm a ginger this of course is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today does hollywood romance actually make any sense and are these people actually dateable or even likable It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in to see what's there. And this week, we're rejoined by our good friend Josh Street to talk about Sean Baker's 2015 indie film, Tangerine. Heyo, happy to be here. Great to have you back. I don't think we've had you on since Dreamgirls. I don't think so. Yeah, that was the last one. Which we recorded like three months before it came out, so it feels even longer for us. It was a while ago. Yeah, it simultaneously feels yesterday and ages ago. That's how time works now. Everything happened a thousand years ago and ten seconds ago. So just kicking things off, um, had any of us seen Tangerine before, like, this week? No. Yes. I watched it back in college, like, I think around the time it came out. But it has been a while. Yeah, because you are the one who picked this movie and you suggested Josh for the show. So why don't you talk a little bit about why you thought this would be a good one for us? Well, I remember watching this in college and i thought it was really good it's very funny and i enjoyed that and then also we'll talk about it but i really love the end of this movie so i think it's also just really good casting i don't know i thought you'd enjoy it i was surprised you hadn't seen it also yeah i mean the thing about tangerine is that one you know it was barely released it was never in theaters on more than like 45 screens and it came out right in the period where I moved to Florida to start teaching, which is like the low point of my theater going because I was figuring out how to teach. And also I had not yet got into biking, but also didn't have a car. So I couldn't go anywhere really, unless I could convince someone else to go. And this might've been a tough sell. 
Yeah, I watched it on Netflix. I did not see it in theaters. I think it showed up on Netflix pretty soon after it came out. Sure. I was aware of it that year because of the awards season that it was a part of. You know, it got nominated for a bunch of Indie Spirit Awards, won a couple of Gotham Awards. So I was aware of it through all of that, but I didn't actually see it until yesterday. Josh, were you aware of this movie? Like, vaguely, like, when I read the description, I was like, that sounds familiar. And then when I read uh, about how they shot it, that's when I was like, oh, that one, that they did that thing on. Cool. So, like, I'd never seen it either before yesterday. So, it was, uh, like, it was new, and I I enjoyed it. Yeah, so the thing we keep alluding to is that Tangerine was shot on a trio of iPhone 5S smartphones, which was a big part of the story when it came out. Um, This was not a, like, cool experiment thing for the director, Sean Baker, the way that, like, Steven Soderbergh's iPhone movies are. Like, Josh, you and I watched High Flying Bird together. Yep. And that's an iPhone movie. And Lady Gaga's Rain on Me. Sorry, Stupid Love. Also an iPhone movie. This was because they did not have money. Tangerine was produced by Mark and Jay Duplass, who put up $100,000 for it, and then they couldn't get other financing because people in 2015, 2013, when they were getting to work on it, did not want to finance a movie about trans sex workers. Wow. (laughs) Who could have seen that coming? (laughs) So that's why they shot on iPhones, because it was a much cheaper option than renting a camera, and then you need a whole camera crew. Like, with an iPhone, you can have one person hold it. They bought a clip-on anamorphic lens to clip onto the iPhone, and one of those, like, little... uh, It's called a smoothie. One of those mounts (laughs) that you can put an iPhone on to, like, move it more precisely, and an $8 camera app. And then everything they needed to do, they just did it based on that holding... One of the iPhones. They were never using more than two at a time. But so, like, if they needed something that looked like a crane shot, they would tie an iPhone to a pole and hold it up in the air. And for those, like, sweeping shots, like, going around the street corners and stuff, that's Sean Baker on a bicycle steering with one hand while holding an iPhone with the other. Okay, see, okay, that, okay, that's a lot sadder, the trans sex worker thing, than the thing I had read, which was that, oh, yeah, we're going to show on iPhones so that we can pay all these extras more, which is probably well, true. Both, exactly, that, that was, it was both. It was yeah. Oh, no, you're right. It is because the world's horrible to trans sex workers. Right, so the thing was, like, once they didn't have the financing, then they said, well, we need to pay people in the exactly. movie so we can't spend all our money on a camera. So they did, yeah, they budgeted, they could have not paid anyone. <laughs> and had a camera, but they decided to instead use... It looks shockingly good, because when I went to visit Zoe in China, I brought my old iPhone 5, because I didn't want to lose my new iPhone. This was a few years ago. I think I had an 8, maybe. And the pictures I took do not look nearly as nice as <laughs> this film. So that clip they got must have been pretty good. Yeah, they also did, like, all of the color work in Da Vinci Resolve. Like, they did some pretty aggressive color correcting. Yeah. To get those tangerine skies. Hey. But it looks... I mean, if they had kind of tried to sell it as an artistic experiment rather than we had no money, I'd buy it. I would have fallen for it. Exactly. Sure. And, like, I have seen worse-looking iPhone movies, like uh, Unsane, the other Soderbergh iPhone movie, is one of those movies that, like, in my head, I'm like, maybe that was good. And I'm like, well, it was good, except it looked like a pile of poop. Yeah, and I feel like when I saw, like, oh, shot on, like, three iPhones, I thought, oh, it's going to be kind of, like, found footage on the iPhone uh, kind of of a feel to it. But no, it felt it felt very natural. You don't really think, think about it. I will say, and I I do think the camera work with the iPhones contributed to this. The movie felt a lot like a web series to me. I can see that. Like, I could imagine a version of this that was eight-minute installments weekly on YouTube. And partially that's the camera work where a lot of it is either, like, moving on foot going after somebody or, like, right up in somebody's face, which is very much the language of Verite YouTube stuff. But then also the fact that, like, even when people are having conversations, it's usually a wide shot with both of them in it. That was because the actors were improvising a lot and they wanted to just be able to catch that and not have to shoot coverage. But so, like... That all feels kind of YouTube-y, especially, you know, the YouTube of, like, 2013 or a little bit earlier when they're making this. And then also the fact that with the story, you're cutting between these three different stories. And it felt like you could, like, one week you get a chapter of The Cab Driver and one week you get a chapter of Alexandra and one week you get a chapter of Cindy before they all converge at the donut shop. Yeah, a lot of drama happening very quickly. And also... 
just not a lot happening within this three-hour period, was it? No, it's, like, all day. Yeah. Like, okay. It's, like, fully dark out. Like, a- it's after Christmas dinner when it ends. Because they always have the deadline of 7 p.m., and I'm like, when does 7 going to get here? <laughs> How many people are you going to run into? A lot happens in this one day, that is for sure. Yeah. And also, not that much. Which, I mean, to a certain extent, is what the whole movie is about. And it's very much in keeping with Sean Baker, where it's just, like, taking a look at people who are often overlooked, groups of people who are often overlooked, and just giving a glimpse into that world. You know, I, back in the first year of this podcast, was seizing every opportunity to sing the praises of The Florida Project, which is the movie that he made after this, looking at poor people who live in Central Florida on the margins of Disney World. And he's also made movies about, like, illegal immigrants and... Like, all sorts of these uh, people who don't often get looked at in the same way. This year, uh, in December, he's got Red Rocket coming out, starring Simon Rex as, like, a former porn star who goes back to his hometown. I've heard good things. I am curious to see that. I'm excited for that. It's his first movie since Florida Project, and people are liking it. So The Rocket is... Look, none of us has seen the movie, but yes, The Rocket (laughs) is probably his penis. Yeah, yeah. It's right there. While we're talking about Sean Baker... Mark, you remember last year when there was the whole scandal about Bella Thorne joining OnlyFans <laughs> and, like, pricing all of the sex workers off the site? And yeah. then she was like, no, 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 I'm doing it for research for a Sean Baker movie. And then Sean Baker was like, we are not making a movie together. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about that element of it. I think about it all the time. Oh, my God. That is so awful. I do want to talk about, like, I think it's very good that this movie was made and i think it's important that you know these actresses got a chance to be showcased but it is kind of weird that two white men wrote this movie yeah i mean they wrote it heavily based on conversations they had with the two actresses yeah i think they had a pretty big part in shaping this movie the two of them yes very much so Mm -hmm. but they are also not screenwriters yes I mean, it does come through in, uh, like you said, how much improv they were doing, just in some of the conversations that they're having, where it's like, oh, yeah. does it feel <laughs> like her de- write this? Yeah, there's definitely conversations where you're like, I don't think two white men wrote this dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, th- there was not a full screenplay for this movie. It was like, we talked about this on Like Crazy, as another example of something like this, where they had a scriptment, like, basically a detailed plot outline and some scenes they wrote out. And then... A lot of the rest of the conversations are improvised within a framework of, like, this is what we need to happen in the scene. And they would tape the rehearsals so they could show it back to the actresses and be like, all right, just so you remember, like, here's what you came up with if you want to go back to that. Yeah, that Which does feel like a good way of putting training wheels on people who have not done this professionally. Yeah, and they said at least, even though they had acting backgrounds, this was, like, their first time really being in the project. (laughs) Maya Taylor definitely was a performer and has done a couple of other things since then. Katana Kiki Rodriguez, who plays Cindy, really was not much of a performer. She worked with a local AIDS group in Los Angeles. Baker and his co-writer, Chris Burgoff, they met Maya Taylor through a Los Angeles LGBT center and started working with her on developing it. And then Maya Taylor is the one who brought in Rodriguez. All of the extras, do you know, like, did they have casting or were these also kind of brought in by... Maya Taylor and Rodriguez. Well, it depends on what you mean by extras. Like, some of the people who are in the movie, especially in featured roles, you know, with dialogue, yeah. are actors from the area or people they knew. A lot of the, like, true background actors are just random people on the street. Yeah. Because one of the things about shooting on fair. an iPhone <laughs> is that you can shoot and people might not notice that you are shooting a movie. So they would get the scene and then chase down people who had walked through the frame to be like, hi, we're making a movie. Will you sign a release? <laughs> well, I'm glad they got the releases. Yeah, they did get into some issues sometimes. Like one time when they were shooting the fight on the bus after the show, a bus driver called the police because the fight got too intense. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh my goodness. Those bus scenes were the funniest parts. <laughs> right, but that's the thing is like most of the people on that bus did not know it was a movie. <laughs> that is so bizarre. And, like, I wouldn't have done anything if I were on that bus, but I have, like, very little ability to focus. I was riding the bus home from school today, and, like, I was just trying to read a book, and this kid in the seat behind me 
was just very loudly explaining the rules for Halloween costumes at school to his babysitter. And I was like, I do not care, but I cannot focus on anything else. (laughs) And his babysitter was like, yeah, it's probably a good idea that they won't let you bring lightsabers to school. He's like, I wouldn't hit anybody. And she's like, yeah, but it's probably for the best. He's like, no, it's going to mess with my costume. And she's like, it would probably also hurt your focus. (laughs) It was a great conversation. I wonder how many times they had to refilm scenes because someone did come over and check in. They definitely had to do it a couple times. And they had to do one one time because... They went to one, to one dude and were like, hey, we just, we're shooting a movie. Will you sign a release? And he was like, I'll sign it for 80 bucks. And they offered him 20 and he was like, 40 bucks. And they decided, they're like, our budget is so small. That's like lunch for a day. We'll just shoot the scene again. <laughs> we're not shooting on film. It doesn't cost us anything. Yeah. I mean, it was probably cheaper to shoot again without a minute. Dude missed out on 20 bucks. Honestly, I would have said yes to 20 bucks. I would have too. I would have just said yes yes. for free. Yeah, it wouldn't have occurred to me to ask for money. Can I have the IMDb credit, please? Can this go to my SAG membership? (laughs) So the movie was shot in late 2013 and early 2014. They actually did shoot on Christmas Eve. The bus scenes, at, at least, were shot on Christmas Eve. And then it premiered at Sundance in 2015 as part of the next program, where they show more experimental kind of stuff. It was picked up by Magnolia Pictures, who released it limited on July 10th, 2015. Like I said, it was never on more than 45 screens in North America, so it was a pretty small release. It made around $700,000, which is seven times its budget. I feel like it also made more of an impact than other movies that have made $700,000. Yes, you know, I think Magnolia probably could have gotten a better release for it, given its reception at Sundance, but they did do a good job of keeping it in the awards conversation throughout that campaign, which helped make people more aware of the movie in the long term. And I think they honestly did a good job because 2015 was still kind of a transition period of getting it on streaming relatively quickly, because I think it was on Netflix during the awards talk. So you were able to like hear about it if you were paying attention at all to the indie spirits and then go stream it on Netflix. Right. And yeah, this movie was too small to get attention from the Oscars, but it did do quite well in indie spirit nominations. It was nominated for best director, best feature, best female lead for uh, Katana Kiki Rodriguez and Maya Taylor won best supporting actress. That is so cool. Yeah. Were they the first trans people nominated at the indie spirits? Do you know? I don't know for sure, but I believe so. Um, I did want to throw out, just for, you know, a fun throwback mindset, the nominees for Best Film at the Indie Spirits in 2015, Mark. So we have Tangerine. Along with them, we have uh, another movie we've covered, Carol. Carol! Okay, but then it's Charlie Kaufman's Anomalisa. I've heard good things, but I have not seen it. Love the name. Beasts of No Nation. And And then the winner was Spotlight. Ah, Spotlight. Beasts of No Nation is Quivon Janae Wallace. No, that's no, Beasts that's of the Beast Southern of the Wild. Wild. Beasts of No Nation is the Idris Elba, like, African child soldiers movie. Right, 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 right. I feel like maybe it's just because it's the only one I've seen besides Carol and Spotlight. But of those other nominees, this probably had the least distribution or box office, but has stuck around in the conversation more. I don't know that it's stuck around more than Carol and Spotlight. <laughs> no, I mean, of the, like, Beasts of No Nation... And Anomalisa. Yes, definitely. In (laughs) part because Sean Baker's career has continued to grow since then. You know, this was his biggest movie at that point. But then Florida Project was picked up by A24 and got an actual nationwide release. I mean, he's got Bella Thorne lying about being in movies with him. He's (laughs) made it. That's really the goal for a filmmaker. (laughs) That's why Spielberg is still at it. He's like, one day. (laughs) One day Bella Thorne will lie. She will be cast as Eduardo Mortara. I could not tell you who Bella Thorne is, to be fully honest. I know she used to be a Disney person. She used to be a Disney person with Zendaya on the same show. They were on a dance show. So they have not had the same trajectory. They have not at all. (laughs) Zendaya and Dune, Bella Thorne lying about being in a Sean Baker movie, movie, which like is all well and good, but it ain't Dune. (laughs) Uh, Dune. I'm, like, so torn because I understand both sides of the argument about 
using Zendaya in the advertising so much, but then her not being really in the movie. Being in like seven minutes of the because movie. Because I don't know where they could have put her in more. Right, no, no, they have put her in more than she is in the book. Like, they yeah. have expanded her role in that movie. I got no beef with it. Not for the least. It got my students to go see it. Like, I teach teenage girls, and they were all hyped for Dune, and I couldn't figure out why. And they were like, well, Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet. And I was like, you know she is, like, not in the movie. And they're like, we know, but we have to see it. We're going I'm, for Zendaya. I'm not doing a stereotypical thing. I am mimicking a particular student. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's why I go to see it for Zendaya. Have you seen it? Not yet. It but rules. I'm seeing it for Zendaya. <laughs> I saw today that it was confirmed part two. Good. Yes, I want more Zendaya. And, uh, 2023 feels ambitious to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, about we'll that. see about that. They have not finalized the screenplay. Uh, I saw in one interview, apparently Dindy said that Zendaya is the real star of part two. So, <laughs> Well, as she should be. As she should have been of part one. She should not have been the star of part one. <laughs> she should have been uh, Dune himself. She should have been I, Dune, the planet Josh, Dune. We, she should Josh, have been the planet we cannot, Dune. We cannot have a second episode in which you do not understand Dune. Because the first time it happened, it got us a very negative review. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say the main dude's name. Remembered I did not remember it. And then said he, he should have been you know, It's Dune. not that you don't remember. You never knew. <laughs> I have read Dune. But Josh, I do want to imagine if instead of walking on sand, it's just Zendaya's face. Zendaya. <laughs> I would... Would I watch this? I feel like we're getting into some weird territory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> There's hey, something for everyone. I would know. I know one thing. She would kill that role. She would kill it. As Dune, the planet. Josh, did you watch Malcolm and Marie? No, is she also a planet in that one? No, she's just a person. <laughs> it's just a movie that... It was in, like, the like the true, like, pand- pre-vaccine pandemic when, like, we had nothing to talk about because no movies were coming out. That was released on Netflix. And it was like got a lot of attention. She was apparently good in it, but was, by all accounts, boring, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. It's about a relationship, and it's falling apart. Yeah, it's her and John David Washington. There we go. See? Did you see Abominable? Because Zendaya is Michi. <laughs> but but is LeBron James Gwangi? Uh, DreamWorks, you never fail to not disappoint. Wait, no. No. So DreamWorks did make Abominable, but Zendaya was Michi in Smallfoot. Oh, who made these Smallfoot? Were two, these were two movies about Abominable Snowmen. Yes, and then also Missing Link came out in that period, which also had Abominable Snowmen in it. Did it also have Zendaya? No, it had Emma Thompson, though, as, and she was pretty good. From my understanding, that was the best of the three. Missing Link? It's the only one I saw. I liked it fine. Uh, Smallfoot was a Warner Brothers movie, like Warner Animation Group, and it has zero voice actors in it. You mean like professional voice actors yeah. as opposed to movie stars. Right. And also LeBron James. <laughs> and Common. Look, we know LeBron James loves being in animated Warner Brothers movies. <laughs> he loves all those Warner Brothers characters. Wait, now I'm annoyed that he did not put himself in Smallfoot on his list of like ideal Warner Brothers characters for his basketball team. Because you would think that would be a great player. That would have been a great callback. A callback to a movie no one has seen. <laughs> yeah, no one saw the Iron Giant in theaters either. Yeah, oh, I... So are you, Smallfoot is the new Iron Giant? <laughs> I do think the Iron Giant <laughs> got more attention pretty quickly after compared to Smallfoot, which is a movie I still forgot existed regardless of the meme. All right, we're, we're just now looking up the Smallfoot cast. I think we are pretty far afield at this yeah. point. I think it, we should start talking about the romance of this movie. All right, so every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to help us understand all that we care about. So Josh, as our guest, uh, we're going to ask you to stop looking at the cast of Smallfoot on IMDb <laughs> and instead walk us through the romance of Sean Baker's Tangerine. But Gina Rodriguez was in it. Yes, we know. They all got character posters. Josh, do some research, Mama, later. (laughs) Mark, if you ever want to have a really good time, just to interject, look up the character posters for the original Sing. They are very funny. Okay. Josh, what is point one? 
Okay, for my first point, I named it after what Cindy says when she gets out of jail and finds out that her pimp boyfriend, Chester, is cheating. What a terrible name. Chester is like (laughs) such a perfect scumbag name. He's also, he's played by someone named James. I was just like, none of these inspire pimpitude in me. But okay. Um, But Cindy, after Alexandra tells her that Chester cheated on her, she says he cheated with fish. Point one, cheated with fish. So, I got some good news to tell you. What? I've been keeping a secret about me and Chester. <laughs> Woo! I know what it is! Oh, You're girl. breaking up with him. Thank God. Because, what? honey, for I'm him to be cheating on you like that. Wait, 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 what? And I kind of just explained it all in that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it kind of covers that. <laughs> 28 days later, <laughs> Cindy learns from Alexander that her boyfriend is cheating on her. Which is then the impetus for the whole movie. She's going to spend the entire movie trying to find Chester and find the woman with whom he cheated. I do like this first scene because you learn so much so quickly. You got out of jail. You're a trans sex worker. You got a boyfriend who's already cheating on you. I do love the shot, one of the first shots in the movie, of that donut. It's like birds of prey level lovingly shooting breakfast food. It looks like a great donut. It did. And they're at donut time. Which is great. And answer the question, where do you want to go when you first get out of jail to donut time to get a donut? The music in this movie is so good. Uh, So <laughs> that's point one. Which leads directly into point two, which is the, basically the rest of the movie. The hunt for... <laughs> the, first, the first point is just explaining its name. And the second point is the rest of the movie. You need five, Josh. <laughs> point one, the first two minutes of the movie. Honestly, point two, like, the next 86. Honestly, it is like the first point happens. The second one is most of the movie. You're not and wrong. Then three, four, and five are the last 15 minutes of that the movie. That is true. Yeah, you're not wrong. There is a whole other <laughs> plot line that is tangential to the romance that we're not getting into, so there is more than just her walking around hunting for Dina. But it is a pretty significant part of the movie. A lot of fast walking. I did find myself wondering, do people walk this much in LA? No, they don't. But I think people in this circumstance do. You know, LA is a driving city, and that's the worst thing about it. True. But not everybody's living that. I did also have to look up, does LA have a subway? It does. It does. It does. Yeah, I did not know that. I was like, is this a fake thing they threw in? That can't be right. They didn't have the money for that. <laughs> I don't think they could afford to fly somewhere else to use their <laughs> subway. All right, so tell us about point two. Point two, the hunt for not Red October, but for Dinah. Right now, Josh, tell me everything you know about the hunt for Red October. <laughs> There's a submarine. That's honestly more than I thought you were going to Oh my say. God. <laughs> that was a guess. <laughs> And Sean Connery. You're right, yeah. Yes. What country is Sean Connery's character from? This is, like, famous. I'll give you a hint. It's not because of Scotland. Because of the red in the name, Russia? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I'm a three for three, baby. It's famous because Sean Connery does not bother to do a Russian accent, <laughs> but, like, everyone working for him does. And because there's a submarine, I'm going to say there's also an ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Four for four. That is all I can give you. Uh, I would love to watch a dry land submarine movie. Like a Priscilla Queen of the Desert where they put wheels on a submarine. Yeah, and they're just pushing it, trying to get to the ocean instead of to Alice Springs. I dig it. My favorite submarine movie is Fast and the Furious 8. We haven't gotten to that one yet. (laughs) You're not ready. It's great. I heard that's like the worst one. I say it's great about every one of these movies because every one of them is perfect. All right, cool. All right, so tell us about Not the Hunt for Red October. So the Hunt for Dinah, Dana, Desiree, Dominique, or any other D name, as Cindy goes off on a hunt across the city just searching for this fish that I should have gone for a Jonah and the Blue Whale. God damn it. Or, or Moby Dick. Come on. Anyways, back to this because it's fish. Hunting across LA for this woman that her boyfriend Chester has cheated with leads her to everywhere across the city for, to uh, the subway to this guy at a food place to people on the street have you seen this person I really like this one I really like this uh, just the whole hunt scene because it shows how tight-knit the trans woman community the, the trans sexual worker community there in LA is because Cindy's running into people on the street like hey have you seen 
this uh, B-I-T-C-H. Have you, uh, have you, have you seen Chester? Because I need to confront him too. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's clearly a small world. A lot of the people who see her are like, oh, you're out. Like, I guess it's been 28 days. People know what's going on in one, of the, one another's lives. Which makes sense because it's by necessity a small community. There aren't a ton of people in this situation. And I do love the kind of a bit, less, not really a bit, but every time they see somebody, Alexandra, being like, here, come to my show at 7. You're going to be there. 7 at 7. Anywhere they went, slapping down flyers at everybody. Because <laughs> as uh, an actor, I do understand. Yes, please. Here's a flyer that I've been told to hand out. Uh, please take it and come to my show. I respect the hustle. So eventually she does find her. She finds her, I'm not sure the proper term, a a, a sex den, den, a den of iniquity. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a rough spot. That motel room is full. Full. They kept going through rooms and seeing more people. I was like, it has to be at capacity. It's past capacity. Like, it's clearly a rough spot. It's the kind of thing where, like, you want people who are doing sex work to be able to do so and be treated with dignity. This is not a circumstance where people are being able to do that with dignity. I mean, because Chester is ostensibly, because he doesn't really show up until the end, ostensibly all these girls is pimp, question mark? I think so. I think so. I think this is, like, his main space. So I think the woman who answers the door is, like, his enforcer who does the day-to-day. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. Who I'm pretty sure I recognized from TikTok. Like, I believe it. I would, Good for you, girl. Got to the movies. I mean, I think it went the other way around. Yeah. This TikTok was wasn't around. TikTok by they quite shot this in 2013. Or maybe from Vine. I mean, it, the, whatever ubiquitous uh, video hosting service was big in 2015. Was that Vine at that time? Yeah, it Vine would have been, been Vine. Anyway, so she eventually, she finds... Dana, Dina, Dinah. Dominique Desiree. And drags her across LA. One shoe on, one shoe off. Right. The plan is originally to take her to see Chester and kind of throw her at Chester's feet and be like, what's the deal? But then she realizes that she is running late to get to Alexandra's show. And she's like, guess what? Dina, Dana, Dinah. You're coming to this show with me. Their relationship is so funny. It's very it funny. It was hilarious. Again, like dragging her all over onto the bus, across town, people shouting like, her shouting at, please help me. And I was like, I'm not getting involved in this. I will say one thing I appreciated about this movie, I made a note about it pretty early on with regards to Cindy, is I appreciated how much of a crappy person she got to be. True. Mark, I feel like we talked about this a year ago when we talked about A Fantastic Woman, how given the lack of trans representation in film, there's a lot of pressure to make sure there is positive representation. And... Really, the ideal situation is to have so much representation of, like, any group that people can be villains and they can be scummy at times and they can also be good and we have a lot of different folks. And I think one of the strengths of Tangerine is that we we get to see so many different kinds of trans people. Yeah. Like, Cindy is not a very nice person. No! (laughs) No. She is by no means a, like, angel in any capacity. And the movie's able to do that without being transphobic, without being like, look at this mean trans person. It's just like, this is a person and she's obnoxious. Yeah. She's a person in a rough situation, so you can kind of understand why she would be obnoxious, but she's still obnoxious. (laughs) Yeah. So I think this takes us to point three, right, Josh? I do want to shout out the moment where she has kidnapped Dinah. (laughs) Fully. (laughs) Fully kidnapped her. Is... They're in the bathroom getting Alexandra ready for her performance. <laughs> and then Dinah so casually and politely is just like, do you want to do crack with me? And Cindy's like, sure. And the two of them just have a grand old time smoking crack together. This is the window where I was getting pretty strong something wild vibes. Where I was like, they might as well be handcuffed together. And they're both just <laughs> escalating the situation. I thought it was going to turn into... I thought they were about to make out. I honestly... There was a moment where Cindy was doing Dinah's makeup in the bathroom. And it was very lovely. And I was getting that, like... Uh, that once a year a lesbian movie a uh, bit, vibes uh, from it, where the uh, music is soft, the lighting is gentle. I mean, a, it's a Ben Platt, Julianne Moore moment. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going for. But it, okay, it, maybe it was just because they were in the bathroom and it was the lighting was low. And the I music get it. Was soft. Yeah, and it was an A twenty four movie. No, it wasn't. It, <laughs> it was <Magnolia>. not. <laughs> and it felt like an A twenty four movie. If this had been made like two years later, A twenty four would have bought and distributed it. Oh, for sure. 
Anyway, I think this takes us to point number three. It does. When finally, uh, after Alexandra's show and being being kidnapped there, they finally decide, let's go confront Chester at donut time, which brings it right back to where it all began, a metaphor for the cyclicalness of humanity. Since him. Sit your ass down. It don't matter, we here now. Sit down. Did you at least give me a Christmas present? Well, I mean, like, like, yeah, like, I get, I gift is, like, me fucking running shit, like, saving money, like, make, because I know you was getting out today. I was, what well, I was going to do, surprise you, I was going to take you to Roscoe's tomorrow for maybe, like, a fucking, like, a nice Christmas dinner and shit. Like, I thought that'd be special. They go to donut time and they find him there. And first, Cindy, Cindy goes in. Yeah, Cindy goes in. She has Dina Dana Dinah sit outside so that she can be like, Chester, what the heck? I heard you were cheating on me. And he's like, no, of course not. Of course not. I got you a Christmas present. I was going to surprise you tomorrow. No, actually, she asks him whether he got her a Christmas present. And I love his reaction because he gives just like a totally dumbfounded face for like 30 seconds before he's like, I'm giving it to you tomorrow. <laughs> like, it's such a funny reaction. But yeah, he insists that he did not cheat. So then she goes in, grabs Dina Dana Dinah, and hauls her inside. And it is notable that, like, we mentioned that bus fight earlier. And part of the fight is Dana laughs at Cindy mm-hmm. when Cindy says, like, he's my, my boyfriend. boyfriend. Dana's like, what are you talking about? Like, this guy is not anybody's boyfriend. He's, like, pretty terrible. Like, if you went into jail expecting him to stay loyal to you for a month, like, I wouldn't expect him to stay loyal to me for a week if I was out. Honestly, I remember that scene and I was like, this is good advice that she's giving her right now. Yeah. Like, Look, Chester is clearly a bad dude. Chester's the horrible. biggest, I will say, the biggest twist in this movie is coming up in point four. <laughs> that is, that is true. So Cindy hauls Dinah in, and Chester is clearly like, "Oh crap!" Like Cindy has found a woman that I've been bagging for the last two weeks. But he is also saying, like, she means nothing to me. I love you. You are the one I want the most. He also says some, like, pretty ugly stuff about, like, I'm a pimp. I need to test out the merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> Which... <laughs> How many times did you test it out? Ten times. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, what? Chester is a horrible Chester, person. <laughs> not a sensitive individual? Whoa. Uh, bad employer. I think these ladies need a union. I think they need to hang out somewhere other than this donut time because the woman who owns the donut time is very mad that they're getting into this <laughs> argument. Look, that poor shop owner. very understanding for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this movie just goes to show why we need to legalize sex work, because these women deserve to not have to deal with men like Chester. Hashtag ban Chester. <laughs> also, when Chester came on, I was like, yeah, that's what Chester looks like. That's exactly what I Chester expected him to look like. Is such a good name. <laughs> All right, so I think this is point number four, right? They're having this fight in the donut They're time. It's escalating. Back and forth, and then there's this huge bombshell that before she went to jail chester proposed to cindy hey look at me look who's your man who's hot piece for you this hot who's your man i'm your motherfucking fiance you can't be acting this motherfucking crazy (laughs) did you just say fiance you two are getting married it got her name tattooed (laughs) he's got her name tattooed around his heart He's going on like, which of you is my fiance? And everyone in the scene is like, what's what? happening right now? I know. The biggest shock of all to me is that Chester does seem to actually love Cindy in a really messed up way. It's bizarre. It is very bizarre. What He he, he remembers when he told her he loved her at the music festival. Because you expect it to be like she's making it up or romanticizing it in her head or, you know, that he's just been lying. But then you get to this part and you're like, wait, there's actually a real reason why she thinks this and is upset about the cheating. It's such a twist. It's such a twist and I literally gasped when it happened. I know. I was very it's invested. so good. And like you said, it's she has cause to be like, to hunt Dinah down. Yeah, she across. has cause to be this angry. Honestly, my first thought when he's like, which one of you is my fiance? I thought he was pulling like a Hail Mary proposal right there. <laughs> no, when he shows the Cindy tattoo, I was just like, Yeah, once oh I saw the God. tattoo. Oh, it's great. It was out of left field and I was agog. <laughs> but 
he has some other revelations. Is that point five or is that still part of that? That was point four still. Point five. Actually, before point five, they have a moment, the three of them, Cindy, Chester, and Dinah, where they're smoking outside and having an honestly kind of pleasant conversation. A weirdly chill interaction. <laughs> yeah, Dinah seems middle. to have moved on pretty quickly in regards to Cindy. Yeah, once Dinah kind of knew what it was all about, I felt like she was on Cindy's side and was like, you can do better, one, two. Yeah, no, we don't have to fight. It's such Let's a great scene. It's such a great scene because what we're not talking about is the fact that there's the cab driver we've been following for the whole movie <laughs> and his mother-in-law also at this donut shop. And, like, he was there to, like, try to have sex. His mother-in-law was there to track him down because she believed that he was cheating on his wife. So there's also an argument happening in Armenian while all of this is going on. With the very patient owner of the donut time in the background. That woman is not the owner. She has too terrible a shift to be the owner. (laughs) She doesn't get paid enough to be dealing with this. But that does lead us to point five. The best friend, Bombershell. Because the the marriage was the bombshell. This is the bigger bombershell. Okay. I don't know about that. We'll work on it. Where it is revealed a week into going to jail, Chester slept with Cindy's best friend, Alexandra, who had been on the hunt originally with her to and find Dinah. Who, and who, who told her who in the first told place. told her about the Dinah. You get my ass thrown out of motherfucking donut time where I conduct my day-to-day shit, right? You right. act so right motherfucking day. high and mighty about this That's shit. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I see it. Oh, no, 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 no. But he the thing. He the thing. What didn't she tell you? She didn't tell you that me and her was knocking it three weeks ago? Oh. Well, you didn't want to oh. fucking tell her that part. Oh, oh. You saved oh, her that oh, shit, you didn't tell her. Shit. To be fair, Alexandra's initial thing at the start of the movie was not Chester slept with this girl, Dinah. Her thing was, when Cindy said she was looking for Chester, Alexandra was like, wait, you're still with that guy? Like, he cheats on you all the time. And Cindy's like, wait, what? Like, since what has he been cheating oh, on me? Right. And Alexandra's like, everyone knew that he cheats on you. So Alexandra... It seems like did not even realize that she was doing something that wrong to Cindy because she assumed that Cindy knew enough to get out of this crappy relationship. She definitely did not know about the proposal before she went to jail and also had been hoping that, like Dinah, that he that she was going to break up with uh, Chester. But honestly, that led to such a beautiful scene later at the end of the movie where they're kind of reconciling after a yeah. hate crime uh, against Cindy. And Alexander's helping her clean up and they just kind of sit together and kind of just reminisce, I guess a reminisce. I, I teared up when Alexandra gave Cindy her wig. Mm-hmm. That's a great moment mm-hmm. there in the laundromat. It was. And she did look good in that wig. She did. She. I thought It that, was working. That, I think that wig worked better on her. But yeah. All right. So... That's the end. Good movie. So after talking through the romance of Tangerine, Josh, do you find it believable? Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's horrible, but I mean, that's another question. But yes, I do find it believable. Like, uh, I can only speak so much into the world of uh, trans sex workers, but it it felt real and I was invested in it in in, uh, the the end of it, not necessarily the reconciliation, but yeah, it felt real. The thing that makes it more believable is Cindy's behavior is kind of justified. Through most of the movie, you assume that she's kind of acting out of proportion and that she, you know, her relationship is really messed up with Chester and that she's probably projecting. But no, Chester has brought her to this point. It does seem to love her in a weird, messed up, terribly abusive way. Yeah, I gotta say, I am feeling like it's more believable after this conversation we've been having, even than I did after watching the movie yesterday. Yeah, like, I really felt, uh, again, like you said, Mark, it felt like uh, it was heightened drama for the sake of drama, until it, the kind of like, oh, you actually, you really thought this was a good relationship, and then now you're you're lashing out, because this is a shitty thing that's been done to you. And to be fair, like... She maybe had reason to think it was a solid relationship. She should not have thought it was a good relationship. No. (laughs) I think it's fairly unbelievable for her to not know that he was cheating on her based off of everyone's conversation. So given that, every week we rate the believability of a movie on a scale from 0 to 10, where 0 means we believe none of the romance and 10 means we believe all of it. Josh, what are you feeling for Tangerine? I mean, I'm feeling 10. Like, it feels very... The, the people feel real. It feels real and believable again. I was going to go... I think just, like, the heightened drama of it, because it's a movie, 
And also, I do think that Alexandra is probably right that she would know about Chester cheating on her. So I was going it more for a nine. Yeah, I'm going for a nine. Yeah, um, I similarly think that it is clearly to a point that it would be hard to keep a lid on. And she feels strongly about it enough about him even not sleeping with the sex workers he is overseeing that given the fact that she is among those sex workers and given that we have seen that like horrible like motel sex den i feel like at some point it must have come up uh so i'm actually i'm gonna go an eight on this one i think that there is a certain uh blinders on cindy and that's kind of what kept her from fully thinking like oh no no i'm i'm I mean, and then she also did kind of like say like, oh, there's a difference between sex for money and sex for love or sex, just sex for free. So that I feel, I feel like <laughs> she might've taken his, uh, I was trying the merchandise excuse if not for the repeated instances of it, but yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say nine too. Yeah. All you're right. right. I'll. Yeah. All right, let's do some hilarious questions. <laughs> Are Cindy and Chester dateable? I think Absolutely. I think it's pretty clear what our answer is here. I, think... I, I would like to date neither of them, but if you did have to pick a person from this movie to date, Josh, who would you pick? The wife, because she seemed chill. The Armenian wife? The Armenian wife. She seemed chill. She didn't want the mother-in-law in their business. She just wanted, like, a man who was doing, like, Took care of his family. She's understanding of his different cultural she backgrounds. Did. She's like, his Christmas is January 6th. Yeah, she she seemed really great. She, like, she seemed like a good person. I'm trying to think of anybody else who I was a good person. was going to choose the uh, worker at donut time. <laughs> because she is so patient and she's so hesitant to call the cops because she knows that that would just escalate everything. And eventually everyone does respect her and she leaves because they know that donut time is an important place to go. Yeah. She was my number two. I think my number one is the lady in line for the Christmas food bank who is very proud to have gotten her 30-day chip. She's not mixed up in that business anymore. She's turned a corner in her life. And I think I could be a part of it with her. Now, (laughs) do you think Cindy and Chester will stay together? I'm scared, yes. (laughs) I think they will stay together much too long, but ultimately no, because at some point there's going to be a bigger version of the fight we had in this movie. And it will involve a gun, probably. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Now, many of the movies we've covered have ended up adapted into Broadway musicals. Should they turn Tangerine into a stage musical? 1,000% 1,000% yes. I could vibe with this. I could vibe very much with a I Tangerine will, I musical. I think it would, be, it would be funny. There would be great ballad moments. So you're imagining uh, like full-on like straight traditional Broadway. Yes. <laughs> I think you could honestly have a great Greek chorus with this movie. Oh, that would be phenomenal. Because like as she's walking down the street, she keeps she runs into other trans sex workers, and they could be the yeah, they're the, the chorus. chorus who know all about the relationship That's a good with idea. Chester, like the who... um in Little Shop of Horrors. Exactly. Yeah, I was imagining more of like like a punk musical, like Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson style. <laughs> but I kind of like the ideas that you're coming up with. It, I don't know. I, I think this would this would really do well on the stage. <laughs> All right, I think that's about it for Tangerine. If you haven't seen it, it is streaming on Prime right now. I'd recommend and it. And many other places. It's on Canopy. It's most places where you can stream things. Yeah, they really got the rights out there for this one from pretty early on. Ugh, I didn't check Canopy. Now, next week, we are going to be talking about another great movie. 2004's seminal age-up slash time travel movie? 13 going on 30. Well, we've been on a great kick of movies that are about 90 minutes, and I'm really enjoying it. I was well, so terrified this movie would be like two and a half hours for a completely unnecessary reason. We got New York, New York coming up before too long, and that one is uh, not 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, we've, we watched this movie together. I'm excited to go back to it. I love I love 13 Go Going 30. It I love it more. Movie. This is my f- third time seeing it. I watched it the other day. I love it more every time. So I'm really <laughs> excited to talk about that. Judy Greer is in this movie. Best friend. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> Judy Greer is amazing. <laughs> all right. Until then, uh, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. 
Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, particularly on Apple Podcasts. That's the best way to help new people find the show. Last question, Josh. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Tangerine? Okay, uh, I was thinking about it, and I think it should be remember when your significant other gets out of jail and be there to pick them up. Because Chester didn't do that, and that made Cindy very angry. Sure. Hmm. Not a lot of emulatable relationships (laughs) in this movie. Hard to go with anything that's not just don't do what happens in this movie. (laughs) Don't date a Chester. Uh, um, not not this character Chester. Anyone named Chester? Just keep, I can't think of a safe. single good Chester. Chester the cheetah. A che- okay, that guy. <laughs> he has a, a thirst he, for blood. He's a cocaine dealer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he deals cocaine. It's like it's the sunglasses. You can tell. <laughs> I think a good piece of dating advice is make sure to buy your significant other a Christmas present, but don't have it be. A woman that they've been cheating on you with that you've beaten up and kidnapped. All right. That feels like usable advice. Uh, For me, I'm going to say, if you are worried about forgetting that you're engaged to somebody, just tattoo their name on you. It's funny. I thought a lot about Memento watching this because that's another, (laughs) like, driving around crappy parts of L.A. movie. And so I liked that a body tattoo played an important role in this movie as well. All right. Well, (laughs) there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. Bye.